Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. A monk asked Umon, What will it be when trees wither and leaves fall? Umon said, embodying golden wind. Please sit facing toward me. Well, first, a bit of explanation. When the trees wither, they die, (laughs) right? So this is being uh, rather nice here. So what I'm going to try to do, with a lot of help, is First, what is golden wind? And second, how might we embody it? Hmm. Well, long ago, here at DBZ, I went down the long hall downstairs and out the lower entrance for a morning walk. But it was sopping wet out there, cold, overcast, and dead. So I thought, Later, if at all, later. And came back in. Well, trying again about an hour or so later, the hot, bright sun and stiff, cold wind together had me so refreshed that I was dazed, wandering a bit down the road. And so I came to the first turn in the road, you know, turns like this, with that big, clear, excuse me, My voice is gone because of DBZ. So what's what's there now is that big clearing. But then it was woods full of sugar maples. In ancient China, a monk asked Umon Bunyan Zenji, he said, what's it like when the leaves fall and the trees die? Now, that monk knew that the trees don't die. They just become nothing but trunks, limbs, and twigs, right? So they seem to die in the fall, seem. 
I swear. Those sugar maple leaves were coming, they were pure gold, you know. Well, you could say it's just pure yellow, but it's very uh, pure, pure gold. And they were coming down riding the wind right into my face, like so many bombers coming in on their bombing runs, all in formation. Come on, you got to look at it. All in formation. Those leaves were already over the ground, all over the ground, all over the ground. Only about an hour or so later. A floor of that same gold color. So the air itself, the wind full of golden leaves, seemed itself to be that same pure gold color, but of course, transparent gold. You may know that our ordinary eyes, especially uh, including if we're in good eye health, right? Still, if it sees gold all around and no color here, it will see gold here too. It's an imperfection in our eyes. So maybe you don't believe me when I say the air seemed gold too, but there it was. Well, <coughs> old Umon, ancient China old Umon, Sanji, being not only a Zen master, but also a poet. This is um, in ancient China, it's Tang Dynasty. So it's sort of a land of poetry. He was famous for his brief poetic answers when he was asked a Zen question. with poetry, very short poetry. Well, he's asked that question, what's it like when the leaves fall and the trees die? And he responds, he expressed that situation accurately and beautifully, both. He nailed it for that monk in four Chinese syllables. Four only. Four syllables. The Tairo Kimpu, you may have heard that around here. We older folks are used to that translation of it. It is the translation of it, not a translation of it, but the translation from the original Chinese. The Japanese speak much faster than we do, as a rule. Even when they're being polite, and they are a very polite people, So 
Tyro Kempu suits them because it's easy to say fast. Tyro Kempu just rolls out. In the original Chinese, it's Tai Ro, thus far exactly the same. But then instead of Pu, I'm sorry, instead of Kin, Tyro Kin Pu, right? So I'm going through the four of them. And from the Japanese to the original Chinese, Instead of Kim before Pu, it's Kin, as in skin. So it was Pu as in harpoon, but in the Chinese it's Kin as in skin. Mm. And then the Pu, I'm mixing this all up. It's kin as in skin, instead of kim as in kimono, Japanese word. And the last one is <coughs> fu as in typhoon, instead of pu as in harpoon. Mm. So instead of Tairo Kempu, it's Tai Ro Kin Fu. Should have said that first. But I said each syllable of it Tai Ro Kin Fu. The way the Japanese heard the, Jap the Chinese say it long ago, because I, and we, and even the Japanese, find Chinese hard to pronounce. So let's not make things any more difficult for ourselves than we have to. So what's it mean? So I'm going to translate from back to front because it's easier. I'll start with Fu and go back to Tai. Fu means wind. Even a mighty hurricane, like so many bombers coming in on their bombing runs right into my face, right? You understand, does anybody else? <laughs> it's wind, even a mighty hurricane. Kin, so it means wind. So the next one back, I'm starting at the back end, going front, to the, toward the front. Kin means gold. But, Ancient Chinese has no grammar. Unlike every other language I've ever even heard of, you know, like ancient Egyptian, Mesopotamian, you know, the very old languages, still they've got grammar just like we do, but not the ancient Chinese. So we just apply English grammar to it. So we've got gold wind. There's two nouns. So we change it around grammatically, fish for it. Well, the obvious thing to do in that situation is adjective noun, right? Golden wind. For instance, the golden wind that I saw down the road here, right? And because I, I uh, described it for you in detail, 
Now you can see it with your mind's eye. You know, the, the leaves coming right into my face and the trunks, limbs and twigs and all that stuff, right? And all over the ground and the air itself and so on. <clears throat> so it's something we can see. So what we've got so far is Thai row, golden wind. The golden wind that I saw and described for you. So now you, we all see it now. Okay. Row means to reveal. And Thai will turn out to be something we can't see. revealed with that golden wind that we can all see now. See, it's something we can't see. And then the metaphor for it is something we can see. That's called a visual metaphor. You might say it's a metaphor on steroids. It's better, it's the best possible metaphor. You can actually see it. It comes into sight, comes into vision. Something we can't see, now we can. Okay, something like progress. Tie. What does tie mean? Tie revealed, golden wind. Tie revealed as a visual metaphor namely, golden wind. <laughs> Thai, <clears throat> now this is going to seem hard, but I want to warn you, it's easy, actually. It becomes easy due to an unexpected, happy fact. Thai in ancient Chinese means the essence. It means real. It means substance, and it means body. Are we impressed? You know, with those four things, right? They're all very impressive kind of words, right? Well, what you do in this case, and this is the best advice it seems, what you do is string these words together in a sentence. And it's sort of hard to do. You just do it, you know, and see what happens. So it just flashed on me what it must mean. And I, I'm suspecting it. It's actually something else than me working on it. You know what I mean? It's somewhere in it already. So here's what I got. Now, the essence. See my finger? Okay, now there's two fingers. The essence of real beer is its substance, its body. Ring a bell? The body of real beer? Well, ask any drunk. Um, real beer. And his body. So what it is, they'll report to you. You taste it first, and then it goes down. And as it goes down, your throat, of course, you feel a certain uh, thickness to it. And that's called its body. It's a liquid, so it doesn't have bodies like our bodies, including on the outside. But it's... It's that thickness in there. It's the, th the liquids have instead of our solid body. Mm. So in general, that body of a liquid, the body of a, of a liquid is the thickness, if there is any, in it. Mm. 
Well, that's a clue. Because it's taken over into Buddhism. This is a habit of the Buddhists. They take ordinary words in language and turn them into Buddhist jargon, right? Changing them in the process. So an obvious example is Buddha nature. The idea is that uh, the Buddha was a human being and nature means all kinds of things. There's nature all around us, all these trees, right? But then there, it, one of the particular meanings of nature is who you are by nature. What is my true nature? That kind of question. And then Buddha nature says who you are by nature is this man called the Buddha. It's only about 2,300 years ago. Sounds rather unlikely that we would be uh, it's, it's sort of sounds very difficult because of the distance somehow. Something beyond just cultural distance, but uh, we can't do that. You know, it's that kind of distance. So, <laughs> so here we have this tie and it means those four things. And what Buddhism does is take out two of these things, number two and number four. Number two is body. And number four, I'm sorry, number four is body and number two is real. And you know in English you can't do that. So we can give up right now. We reject the whole thing because English has uh, grammar and you can't have two parts of speech in a definition. You have them all the same and then what you're defining will have the same part of speech. Well, here we have two. We have adjective and the three nouns. So what Buddhism does, it takes the adjective and the noun and then changes things. Uh, body uh, is taken in, a tie in Buddhism is taken to mean the body of reality. See, real reality. What is Buddhism interested in? Is this real or not? No, they want to know, is this real or not? The whole shooting match. Shooting match, everybody knows this jargon, meaning the whole world, right? <clears throat> and it's called our reality because things are so very real to us. And often, fairly often, think of traffic accidents painfully real. So, <clears throat> when you get it, you amaze me. And I uh, sort of lose track. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so we have the body of, and because it's the body in beer or in any liquid, then it's going to be the body in this reality of ours. Okay, so what would that mean? Well, the most reasonable definition is it's what's going on in this world of ours. And you can say, if I do this, and you can say, he scratched his head, that's what's going on. Nah, it's what's always going on, everywhere. What, what's actually going on here? Sounds interesting, doesn't it? But then there's another problem here, is that all, everything in this whole shooting match, excuse my sort of bad English, but everything in this whole shooting match 
is like a dream. Remember, end of the Diamond Sutra, which you chanted this morning in Chinese. But at the end of the, that whole long sutra, it says every, every, uh, there's various ways of putting it, but everything in this world is like a dream, like a fantasy. It sounds rather nice, but the heavy way of putting it, I think, is it's like a movie. It's nothing but a movie. Nothing more than a movie. <coughs> so then, we're trying to find what's actually going on in this world of forms, colors, and experiences that's unreal. We've now got four different words for why it's unreal. Right? Three of them coming from the Diamond Sutra and the other one coming from the hippies. So it's like, it's unreal. It's like a dream, like a fantasy, like a movie. In particular, each and all of the things in it, in this whole shoot and match of ours, are going the way of all things. Remember that phrase? I think the origin of it was some rebel uh, said it to uh, the rulers of this world, you know, the empresses and emperors and all that, even down to the senators and presidents and all that, right? The rulers of this, he's speaking to the rulers of this world and saying, you needn't feel so special. You're just like everybody else. You're going the way of all things too. Meaning you have a lifespan and it's finite, just like the rest of us. Uh -huh. So each and all of the things in this world of ours, things in, are going the way of all things. They're going away. So the body of, meaning in reality, this reality of ours, The body of meaning in this, quote, reality of ours. Because none of these things are real. And therefore, the whole thing is unreal. Mm -hmm. there, it's going away. All of these things are going away. So there's two kinds of, of things here, the living and the non-living. The living have lifespans, unpredictable, but, and the non-living have what you might call shelf life, although that's kind of a stretch. Uh, they're, like take this lectern, it's made of wood, some varnish on it, right? It's holding up my papers, but that's what I'm doing with it. It's got nothing to do with it itself. Since it's made of these things, the varnish will peel off, varnish will go, and then the uh, wood will rot away. So, the, so this lectern is gone. And even the rare earth elements have half-lives. So one begins to get the feeling that Every non-living thing has a half-life. Now, we tend to find people in our families precious. Like I remember my Aunt Jenny, 
She was, uh, she's been dead for three decades. She was sister to my grandmother. So she was a great aunt, right? She was not a nice lady. She was a rather scratchy old woman. But she had astounding compassion. So I was a little kid, and nobody pays any attention to little kids. You pat them on the head and then send them on their way, so to speak. <clears throat> but she even found a way to help me. So she's still in my mind, and I still find her precious. So what's golden about this golden wind? Well. In modern English and in ancient Chinese, even more in ancient Chinese, gold means precious. Like, for instance, uh, President Lincoln <coughs> with the Gettysburg Address, it's so compact and so uh, uh, completely uh, appropriate to the occasion. It's the Battle of Gettysburg, right? So it, we think of that, those are golden words. They're a bit old now, but still golden. But then we do it with people too, like my Aunt Jenny. But then we do it with pets too and with animals in uh, animal jail, uh, zoos. <laughs> Made a, make a little funny there. <coughs> and even big game, just before you kill it, right? It's precious, the lion, for instance. But then we find non-living things precious, too. Gold, jewels, coal, oil, the rare earth elements, and the nu nukes, nukes nu nuclear, yeah, nuclear bombs, nu nukes and vicious poisons that we find in those rare earth elements. Sherlock Holmes, in one of those stories, said that gold and jewels are magnets for crime. You got it? If you hoard them, if you hug the, the gold and jewels to yourself, the criminals will come and commit crime on you or even kill you, right, to get the gold and jewels away from you, right? And the, uh, the Hopi people, they're called Hopi Indians, but they aren't from India. <laughs> I like the sense of humor of why he, he laughs at my jokes. <laughs> but they're... Uh, they say, it's one of their probably ancient sayings, they say, if we dig precious things out of the ground, it will lead to disaster. And so it has, right? We dig the rare earth elements out of the ground, and now we've got the Pacific Ocean is radioactive for instance, but only for instance. Hence, global warming screws up the atmosphere, you know. I mean the coal and oil, but we'll probably get around to the nukes doing it too, you know, poison the water and so on. <clears throat>
Well, back to the monk asking the question and Umon Zenji's answer. The monk seems to know what he's after. Remember that word withered, meaning dead? Hmm? That monk seems to know what he's asking for because his intentional error, it's a mistake on purpose. He says, what's it like when the leaves fall and the trees die? And he knows they don't die. So why is he asking it like that? He's telegraphing to this Zen master, Umon, who is pretty good at reading telegraphs, you might say. Pretty good at peculiar questions. He might be able to answer them better than you could if they were just the same old question questions. What the monk is interested in, and the Zen master thinks that that's what he's probably interested in, is death. Well, interested in it, disturbed by, unable to figure it out. You know, like what's the point and all that kind of question. So he wants, he wants death in the answer. That's what he's telegraphing. I want somehow you to talk about that for me. Okay. And then uh, Uman makes his own mistake in the answer. And the answer is, remember I was looking at all these gold leaves. That's because it's sugar maples. It was sugar maples in that woods. But you know as well as I do that in the fall we get all kinds of colors depending on the mix of trees, of course. Right? It runs through a good part of the rainbow, all those different colors on the ground. It's like fire because there's so many colors at once. So anyway, <clears throat> on the ground, so they're not all gold. So what, why is he calling it golden wind? This is not just about the fall. Hmm. Well, I think I said that in modern America and also in ancient China, Tang Dynasty, gold means precious the way we use the, the word. We have that in common with them. And the reason, I think, that I was able to translate this thing so easily, just slapping English grammar or an English sentence on the Chinese, you know, using the w words that they prescribe and just connecting it with grammar, of course. Uh, that we both think of gold as meaning precious. Okay, so then when he says golden wind, what he means is something precious is going through this world of ours. It's here, it's inside our shooting match. And what it is, is simply what I already explained, that every cotton-picking thing in the whole shooting match is going the way of all things. We got our lifespans, the non-living things have their shelf lives, much longer than what you buy in the store, of course. But still, you watch it going on. We watch it going on. So then when he says uh, the body of reality, not outside, but in this reality of ours, the body that's inside it, what's actually going on in here, is the whole thing is gone with the wind. Not all at once, 
It's like different strokes for different folks. Different people find different things precious. But if you look over history, human beings have found everything we can possibly imagine in this world of ours precious, one time or another, one way or another. And if we don't agree with them, then we call them perverse or something like that. So, the body of meaning in, quote, reality, unquote, revealed as a visual metaphor, something we can see for something we can't see. It's golden wind. So what makes it, we can see it for something we can't see, is that uh, we take gold as meaning precious, which we can't see. We can see the gold. Hawkwin, Hawkwin always has a better idea. Uh, you, you know, ordinary words that we like, then he finds better ones, somehow better. So in this case, Hawkwin called this body of reality, see, which Umon called golden wind. What's actually going on here? He called it tranquil extinction. Well, the extinction part, we may not like it, but it's clear, right? Every cotton picking thing in the whole shooting match is going away, away, away. So it reminds me of Jehovah that he must have done a great job. There's no, nothing wasted here. Everything, whatever comes in goes out again. But anyway, leave that to Jehovah and not mess with it. So, he said each and when it comes down to tranquil extinction, each and everything going the way of all things tranquilly. Mm -hmm. So why tranquil? Believe it or not, Franz Kafka, Jewish, in Prague, the oldest city in Europe, Then, when he was there, alive, before the First World War, it was part of Germany. You know, this was the Holy Roman Empire, you know? And it's all these little tiny states. If you, have a, if you have a castle you can defend, then you get rather independent and you become part of the empire, the Holy Roman Empire. But it's not an empire, but that's the name for it. <coughs> So Prague was one of these, it was just one city in Germany. So Kafka writes in German, and uh, he's Jewish, he's in Prague, the oldest city in Europe. And then before the First World War, it was a part of Germany. So he wrote short stories and a couple of novels in German. And then they've been translated. And he is, of all the authors I've ever tried to read, he's the easiest. No difficulty at all reading through all this stuff. But deep. So I'm warning you, he's easy, but deep. He wrote to himself and to each of us, so here's something deep that he wrote about being that tranquil. How, how tranquil? Tranquil extinction tranquil, right? Extinction in the face of extinction. Can you take it? 
Can you get along with it? Can you live with it? Can you die with it? So what he said was to us and to himself, especially to himself, he's trying to deal with what we've just been talking about. He says, then is everything lost? Is everything lost? Everything? And then that's the things that you find precious. And I find precious. That's what we mean when we say everything, right? Is everything lost? And so he's saying it to himself. The things that he finds precious, are they going to be gone too? Hmm. And then he says it. He answers his own question. He says, nothing was lost. Nothing was lost. Nothing, nothing was lost. That little word in the middle, did you catch it? I didn't for a while. Nothing lost was lost. All he's saying is, so far, so good. Hmm. But then what does that mean? Everything is, is so far so good. There's no problem, right? And I think what he's trying to recommend here is courage. Somebody caught it. <laughs> courage. Courage to... Uh, live rather than worry about some other state. There's no reason to expect something either precious or something you don't like at all when it happens. So it's, there's no real reason to uh, cower, say, with courage. I'm quoting almost a, a short story. Conan Doyle, he wrote Sherlock Holmes, but he didn't like Holmes at all. I think he did it for the money. But what he wanted to write was medieval novels. And in this his masterpiece in the way of, of medieval novel was the White Company. And I guess they've got armor painted white. They're medieval, right? So they're tromping around in the forest, right, in this white armor, whatever that is. <clears throat> the White Company. And one of them shouts to the others. He says, courage, comrades. The devil is dead, right? But that's the medieval way of thinking about these things, right? Courage, comrade. The devil is dead. The Japanese think that way. They think that that light up there is actually Thomas Edison beaming down upon you, right? The inventor is actually what's in those lights. And then the electricity is Nikola Tesla riding on uh, alternating current all the way from, where would it be? Uh, Niagara Falls, right? They want to think that way rather than this sort of uh, It's actually a form of cowardice, I think you could say. And if you think of our, our tradition here, it won't die with 
this body or that body or any of these bodies. So, what is, is, is uh, Kafka said, so far so good. And Bob Dylan sang about that tranquil extinction of uh, Hakuin. The song is, I think everybody knows it, it's an old one. It's, hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, remember? The last part, I want to quote the last part, and I'm leaving out some words and even whole lines just to bring out the meaning more clearly. So he sings to Mr. Tambourine Man. He says, take me disappearing through my mind. Mm. Down the foggy ruins of time. Mm. It sounds sort of like memory lane, fond reflections, but now he wants to disappear. He's disappearing. He's trying to get rid of the bad experiences that he cannot get free of. Cannot. So he starts out, he says, <clears throat> he gives examples. Take me disappearing through my mind, down the foggy ruins of time, getting past bad memories. So his first one is far past the frozen leaves. Remember those leaves coming right into my face like so many bombers on their bombing runs? I got kind of carried away there, right? They're coming close because they've been riding the wind, right? In the golden wind. So he seems to be quoting that, which is, he's quoting from Umon uh, Zenji uh, because that's where this golden wind comes from, right? <coughs> getting past bad memories, past being frozen. See, he says, far past the frozen leaves. So they're solid and they're sharp. Those leaves are sharp. They're delicate, but sharp. And now they're frozen. Yeah. So I think uh, Dylan is actually saying that he himself was frozen when he was Bobby Dylan instead of Bob Dylan. He was frozen with fear of things that get, he let get too close to him, like those leaves in my eyes. In the leaves in your eyes, it's like uh, what they do is blind you for life, which is a living death. Mm -hmm. Milton sang about that. He said, this is on his blindness. When I consider how my life is spent, Ere half my days on this dark world and wide. And that one talent, that one power, the power of vision, and that one talent, which is death to hide. There's the stare of death, and then the, the living close the eyes because they don't want to look at that anymore. that one talent which is death to hide, lodged with me useless, blind for life. The eyes are there, but they don't function at all. A living death. Hmm. So that's what Dylan, Bobby Dylan was so afraid of, and he wants to get free of that fear. He wants to get past that experience, which hangs on in his mind. It's not just a memory. And then he says, far past, far past, yeah, yeah, far past the haunted, frightened trees. Remember those trees, trunks, limbs, and twigs? But if a big wind comes, a cold, heavy 
fall wind, the trunk stays still, but the limbs weave back and forth in the wind. And those little twigs up, up, up here, they're having nervous breakdowns up in the top of the tree, right? The haunted, frightened trees, he wants to get free of those haunted, frightened trees. And that those are things that are far away from him, like wars. Uh, like Russia versus Ukraine, like the European Union versus Putin, like Biden versus Trump, like Rand Paul, he's a senator now. He looks like a kid, but he's a senator with his voice. It's just dripping with self-respect, right? <laughs> and he's sticking it to <coughs> uh, Fauci, this nice little Italian guy who never hurt anybody. <laughs> it's, the wars go on and on and on, and they're too close. Or a, a great, a great uh, example is you meet somebody and you're lonely, right? And they look all right, they look good. And so you just go up and befriend them, just like that. And then you find out what they've done wrong. And you don't have, you know, wrong for who and all that. That's not it, they're wrong. <clears throat> and then you and they, your delusions and their delusions are not quite in sync. So then you can't leave each other alone and you can't get along either. So they're called frenemies, right? And so this is the war with people who you thought you might make friends with at various times, which is too close. See, that's a downside. The only thing that can get you to treat each other decently is a neutral third person or nature maybe if you get distracted by nature you can do that but there's no other way out that i know far past the haunted frightened trees in the distance they're behind the wind right and that golden wind is coming in front of them And his next one is far past. He's trying to get past things. Far past the twisted reach. A twisted reach is like this. You know, you'll find it in Monty Python's best, last, worst movie. <laughs> best, worst movie. The meaning of life. Are we impressed? <coughs> so the last part is about death and the twisted reaches in there. So it's like twisted reach like this. Ah! Mm. Far past the twisted reach of crazy sorrow. I can't say it right. I gotta be crazy. I gotta be of crazy sorrow, sorrow. I can't do it with the voice, and so I'm using the face, and the face doesn't quite do it either. But you know what I mean? So then it's, it looks like an oxymoron, right? Crazy is not sorrow. Sorrow is not crazy. But sorrow is just a nice word for suffering, right? You knew I'd get around to that, didn't you? <coughs> suffering. Is suffering crazy? And Bobby Dillon, I mean Bob Dillon now, he's suggesting that the place to get free of it is in your own mind. You know, the brain is great for working on things like disaster and, you know, things wrong with the world, mistakes we've made, for instance. I think of like Musk flying to Mars. That seems like might be become one of the solutions. Or there's people who study the electromagnetic universe. It 
seems like it might be another way out. Brain stuff, right? But the problem of suffering, you can't, the only way to get rid of it is in your own mind. I think, he thinks, not brain, mind. Hi. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.